You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the only podcast endorsed by the WWE as accurate in its depiction of combat. Yeah! Kick it! Changing episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This, as always, is an internet radio show brought to you by me, Sean Engel, and dealing with the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favoriteest Green Lanterns of all time. And if you're wondering why this is a game changing episode of the Just One of the Guys and a game changing issue of the Green Lantern comic book, well, that's because a certain Green Lantern ends up being kicked out of the core. Well, technically, he's not kicked out of the core, but we'll get more to that in the synopsis. But if you've been listening to the past couple of episodes, you've realized that Hal Jordan has been trying to get his sector back, Sector 2814, from Guy Gardner, who he and the other members of the JLA feel might not be doing the best job for the, representing the Green Lanterns in this sector. However, if you know Guy Gardner, he's not going to go quietly and what we get in this issue is a pretty awesome fight sequence. Uh, if you guys have ever seen the movie They Live and seen the fight sequence between Roddy Roddy Piper and Keith David, you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. It's a brutal, drop-down, drag-out smackdown between these two Green Lanterns to determine who's going to be Green Lantern of Earth. And, as you can probably imagine, the outcome isn't a pleasant one for one character. Uh, It's not really a spoiler, I guess. If you know who it is, you know who it is. But, as I don't have much in the way of preamble this time, let's go ahead and hit to the promos, knock a couple of those out, some awesome shows that you should definitely be listening to, and when we come back from those, we'll be ready to start on issue 25, an epic and life-changing chapter in the history of Green Lantern. So... Stay tuned, and we'll catch you after the promos. A long time ago... In a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Too true! 
Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. The randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me, listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20-minute long box. The 20-minute long box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20 Minute Long Box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. Wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com The Hulk on Podcasts Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on 
Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not fight Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pat Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. And welcome back. As this is a double-sized issue and there are no emails or anything to get out of the way, we're going to go ahead and jump straight into the coverage of Green Lantern number 25. Green Lantern number 25 has a cover date of June 1992. Its release date was on or about April 28th of 1992. The cover price was $1.75 US, $2.25 Canada, and £1 UK. The title is Prize Fight. Writer was Gerard Jones, the letterer was Albert Guzman, colorist was Anthony Tolan, and the editor was Kevin Dooley. Chapter 1 was penciled by Tim Hamilton and Gary Yap. Hal Jordan is coming home. After recruiting 12 members to restart the Green Lantern Corps, Hal is ready to take back his position of Green Lantern of Sector 2814. Unfortunately, Guy Gardner is unaware of this development and probably unwilling to give up the position. As he flies to Earth, Hal recounts how he better dealt with Goldface, has been asked to lead the Justice League Europe, and is ready to deal with Carol Ferris again. Trying to find Guy, Hal appears in front of Fire and Ice at the new JLA headquarters. Hal says that he needs to talk to Gardner, and Tora says that he's at his apartment. Hal abruptly leaves as Beatrice and Tora go to inform the rest of the League that there might be trouble brewing for Guy. Meanwhile, Hal knocks on the door of Guy's beat-down bachelor pad. Barging his way in, Hal plainly informs Guy that he's taking his sector back. After a spit-take of beer, Guy tells Hal that the Guardians gave him the job of Green Lantern of Sector 2814. Hal retorts, saying the Guardians said that either of them could have the sector, and that Hal is going to take it because it was his by right. Guy rebukes him, saying the only reason he was chosen was because he was closer to the dying alien, Abensur. The two argue over who is better suited until Guy comes to a solution. A fight between the two of them. Winner gets the sector, loser quits the core. Hal ponders the idea, not wanting to let the decision of who the Green Lantern of Earth should be be decided by a brawl. Especially since Guy has used the ring to keep himself fitter and more powerful. Guy's taunting eventually gets to Hal, and he has definitely had enough of Guy's Okay, since this is divided into chapters, I'm going to go chapter by chapter with my notes, and we'll go ahead and start out with some general notes about this chapter. Uh, Hamilton and Yap's art isn't that great. I mean, it's not as clean as Bright and Tank All's, and it's not as stylized as Staten's, and it just 
it's okay, but it doesn't work for me as well as the other two artists in the book. And unfortunately, there's no page numbers, so that's kind of a pain in the butt as well. But I'll go ahead and start off with the cover, which is a nice picture of Hal and Guy throwing some ring construct fists at each other. Uh, it's kind of nice to see that Guy's fist has these sort of spiky bracelet on it. And we also have some members of the Justice League International and the Justice League Europe on there betting on who's going to win the fight. And Superman and Batman are holding Hal Jordan and Guy Gardner back respectively. And It's a neat cover, but in the issue, Batman's nowhere to be seen. So I don't know whether DC Editorial wouldn't let him be in this book or whether this was just a mistake on the cover or whatever it is. But Batman only makes an appearance on the cover. Page 2, panels 4 and 5, we get Hal saying that he wants to reconnect with Carol and maybe find Aresia. Uh, essentially, whoever will put out for him first. And then again in panel 5, we get Hal specifically referring to Tom Kalmaku as Pieface. Way to be PC, Hal. I bet you refer to John as my black friend. Then on page 3, panel 1, uh, just a comment. The jumpsuit that B Fire is wearing in the uh, image here really makes her ass look huge. I mean, not that I'm complaining, but just pointing it out. And plus, Fire and Ice are now reduced to bringing chips and soda to Maxwell Lord, so kind of sad. Page 4, panel 4, we get an image of Guy's apartment, and it's a pretty rundown New York uh probably one-room flat, but it's got some interesting things in it, like a Playman magazine, obviously couldn't use Playboy, and a picture of Batman on the dartboard with a couple of darts thrown through Batman's face. Nice. Page 6, pen 1, we get a few more things uh, lying around Guy's apartment. We've got a uh, video of Rocky, or not a video of Rocky, a poster of Rocky, uh, a video of Rambo First Blood, and a video of Green Berets, hence showing that Guy is a man's man. He likes Sylvester Stallone and John Wayne movies. On page 7, we've got Guy calling Hal out on some of the mistakes he's made, uh, specifically how he thought that the tattooed man was dead when he was actually alive, uh, that he didn't know anything about Chip or Moko. Basically, Guy's trying to point out that Hal's not the perfect lantern that he makes himself out to be. Unfortunately, he's doing it in a foolish manner, which is what Guy usually does anyway. Then on page 10, panel 7, we get the thing that gets Hal to actually fight Guy. It's calling him a whiner. So, remember that, people. If you ever want Hal Jordan to lose it, just call him a whiner. He'll take you on from there. But that brings us to Chapter 2, where the penciler this time around was Joe Staten, and the inker was Romeo Tangal. Fed up, Hal throws a haymaker, knocking Guy back into the wall. Thrilled that Hal has finally decided to stand up to him, Guy knocks Hal over with a goat construct. Because Guy got his goat, you get it? <laughs> of course you do. Hal fires some ring blast, which Guy swats away, saying that he batted 280 in his freshman year in college. Hal shows him up by throwing a curveball, momentarily dazing Guy. Sensing that he has the upper hand, Hal body slams Guy out the window, pinning him to the New York sidewalk. Thinking the fight was way too easy, Hal lets his guard down, 
allowing Guy to fire a ring construct rocket at Hal, which blasted him into the sky, saying that you shouldn't have made him mad. You wouldn't like it when he was mad. Guy comes after Hal with a construct sledgehammer, which Hal deflects with a construct anvil. Hal then punches Guy out, sending him soaring, but Guy hooks onto the roof of a building and stops his flight. Meanwhile, Superman and the rest of the Justice League are following up on Ice's mention of trouble between Hal and Guy. But before the Man of Steel can fling the two combatants into the sun, Brick puts up a construct barrier, halting Superman's advances. The majority of the Green Lantern Corps have arrived, and Jon Stewart tells the JLA that this is Green Lantern business, and that they will handle it. Ralph Dibney stretches up to suggest that the JLA should help Hal, but John says that Guy and Hal have to work this out themselves. But as the two warriors duke it out over Manhattan, John steps in, saying that the battle is tearing the city apart. Hal agrees and says that they should take the fight into space. But Guy says Hal is too afraid to take him on his own turf and challenges him to finish the fight without using their rings. Hal agrees, and the fight is on again. And of course, this chapter benefits significantly from having Joe Staten as the artist. Awesome. But notes, we've got page 11, panel 3. We've got Guy being kind of immature with his constructs. I mean, clever, but immature. I mean, taking a giant ram and hitting it into Hal. That's kind of clever, but I would say it's better than punching each other with giant fists. Page 13, panel 3. We get Hal getting pretty cocky as he's taking out Guy and he's pinning him down, thinking that he's got the fight wrapped up after just a couple of hits. He's pretty wrong there. Page 15, panel 2. We get Guy hitting the anvil construct with his sledgehammer construct, and then, of course, the vibrations from it causing him to do that sort of cartoony wah type thing. Like I said, it's a pretty cartoony moment and doesn't really fit in with the whole epicness of the battle. It just seems kind of like something you'd see in a Roadrunner cartoon and not a Green Lantern comic. Then on page 16, panel 1, we get the members of the Justice League International and Justice League Europe coming in. We've got Aquaman, Power Girl, Superman, Fire and Ice flying in. And, you know, it's nice that the JLA and JLI are here in New York to... Uh, help out. However, it is this time where Power Girl is in her awful blue and white outfit. It's not the typical white one with the, well, the oval where her boobs are, which is iconic in a way, and I guess kind of dirty in another way, but this outfit just doesn't do it for me. She just looks awful. Then as the fight continues on, I just skip ahead to page 20 where Blue Beetle and Crimson Fox arrive. So, more Justice Leaguers showing up. And on the same page, we get the hero's girlfriends interceding with them, trying to get them to stop fighting. Of course, Guy has Ice, and Hal doesn't have Carol, but Hal has Brick. Which is pretty much the same as his girlfriend, or at least his clingy psycho girlfriend. But that's it for those notes, let's head on into Chapter 3, which was penciled by M.D. Bright and inked by Romeo Tangal. Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, re-ensues, this time sans the ring constructs. 
Hal is doing well initially, using his brains to trip Guy up and use his momentum against him. Hal finally knocks down Guy with one punch, which causes Blue Beetle to crack up, as Guy looks like he's going down like a chump, as he did when Batman took him down. But this time it's different. Guy roars back, no one punch, and lays into Hal with a brutal thrashing. Hal faints out of the way of one of Guy's blows, causing him to slam his fist into a brick wall. But Guy fights through the pain, landing blow after blow to the weakening Hal Jordan. Hal occasionally gets a good hit on Guy, but it's too few to make a difference. Hal knows Guy is stronger, that he will win this fight, that the battle is over. Submerging all the pain, Hal balls up and lets Guy wail on him, hoping that Guy will burn out before Hal passes out. And as planned, Guy is burned out too soon, and Hal grabs the opportunity to end it all. With a series of weakened but well-placed blows, Hal finally takes Guy down, earning back the job of Earth's Green Lantern. Worried that Guy is dead, Ice runs to the collapsed lantern, who slowly rises to his feet. Hand outstretched, Hal Jordan reaches for Guy, who thinks that he wants a handshake as congratulations for winning the fight. However, what Hal wants is Guy's ring. Realizing he lost fair and square, Guy hands over the ring and slowly turns and walks away. League and Corps members rush in and congratulate Hal as Guy mumbles that he'll find a way to come back. But all the praise in the world is meaningless right now, as Hal Jordan, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, is back. Now for good. Okay, well, it probably wasn't that much of a spoiler to, for you guys to know that Tal was going to get back the ring and Guy was going to have to give it up. But what was amazing was this was a brutal and epic fight. Uh, Bright and Tangle for this uh, section of the book do some really good fight choreography. I mentioned before the Roddy Roddy Piper and the Keith David fight from They Live. If they were to take that fight and put it in a, well, in a comic book form, Bright and Tangal would probably do it a lot like this. It's really epic. You're feeling all the blows. There's a lot of violence in here, but it's not so over the top that it's in any way disgusting. It's just a good, hard-fought battle between two people who really have a desire to win this. But getting on with notes with the chapter, go page 21, panel 2. We get Guy knocking Hal into a light post and bending that back, which 
if you're not using the rings to protect you, is definitely going to be something that you're not going to be getting up quickly from. Then on page 22, we get an elongated man in Flash, well, the Wally West Flash, you know, rooting for Hal and telling him, you know, what to do. Why are they so concerned about, you know, who wins this fight? I mean, they're in the Justice League Europe. They don't have to deal with Guy Gardner. In fact, they're going to be dealing with Hal here in a few, if I recall correctly. Then on the same page, panel six, we see Hal tripping up Guy and Guy going headfirst into a fire hydrant, which I guess, okay, that's probably something that you don't get up quickly from either. Page 23, we get the makings of what might be One Punch Part 2. And If you don't know what I'm talking about, I think in issue 5 of Justice League International, Batman basically takes down Guy Gardner with one punch, and Blue Beetle was there to witness both of them, and this time he thinks it's going to be another uh, simple takedown of Guy. But Hal's no Batman, I hate to say. Plus, Blue Beetle's being kind of a dickweed. Page 27, panels 2 and 3, we've got basically Power Girl, Elongated Man, Blue Beetle, and Flash all rooting for Hal, while only poor Ice is rooting for Guy. It's kind of lopsided and who really cares about Guy in this issue, but you kind of have to think he's brought it upon himself. Then on the same page, panel 7, we get Guy elbowing Hal right in the groin. Oof, okay, well, maybe if Hal can withstand that, maybe there's the possibility that he deserves to win this fight. Pages 29 through 31, we get panel after panel of Guy just wailing on Hal, and Hal's taking blows left and right, but he's digging down, and Guy's just pummeling him, and you've got to worry that Hal's going to be knocked out after this. But he basically pulled the rope to open, then on pages 32 through 33, it's it's Hal's time to shine as he's landing critical blows and taking Guy down after he's worn himself out. Then on page 34, we get a really nice one-page splash of Hal standing over Guy's defeated body, looking up at the heavens. It's, it's a really epic pose, and you can tell that Guy Gardner's been pretty beat. I mean, he's got a black eye, and his fist looks all crunched up. It's it's a good moment for Hal, unfortunately, a sad moment for Guy. Then page 36, we get a series of panels of Guy admitting his defeat and giving up the ring to Hal. And I don't care, no matter how much you hate Guy Gardner, no matter how much you may feel that he's an obnoxious character, looking at these panels and looking at him having to give up the ring, the one thing that he has worked his entire life to be giving it up because he knows that he actually was the cause of this loss is just heartbreaking and Tangal and Bright do a great job at representing that if you don't feel something for Guy on this page, I guess I don't know, it's hard for me not to and then finally on page 38 you get Arthur Fonzarelli zooming up into space in his Green Lantern costume given the old a thumbs up thing. So, well, oh wait, I'm sorry, I misrepresented that. That's actually Hal Jordan, not Arthur Fonzarelli. <laughs> My bad. But that does it for the notes of the story. Let's go ahead and see what kind of ads they have, and see what kind of crap they're gonna sell to us. 
And with front inside cover, they've got so real you wish it was just a game. And it's the WWF, not the World Wildlife Fund, but the World Wrestling Federation, Super WrestleMania for the SNES. And you've got such stars as Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, who else am I seeing here? Uh, the Undertaker, uh, Sid Justice, and Jake the Snake Roberts. You can play all these characters, and it looked like a pretty fun game. I remember the original Nintendo wrestling where they didn't really have any licensed characters and it was fun, but this looks a heck of a lot more enjoyable. Plus it's got Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker in it, so that's always awesome. Then a few pages in, you've got Hollywood, if she could, and it's an image for Ralph Bakshi's picture, Cool World, starring Brad Pitt, Gabriel Byrne, and Kim Basinger which is a perfect example of why Kim Basinger looks a heck of a lot hotter as an animated figure than she does in real life. And this was before she became bat guano crazy. Next page, we get the Weiler's baseball ad with the ten different things that are going wrong in the baseball field, and everyone's asleep in the stands. Of course, not because baseball is boring. No, no, no. It's because something's wrong with the game. Not in any way that baseball is boring. Then we get another ad for another fine movie of the time where the Stone Age meets the Rock Age and you get the uh, sort of evolution of man type poster which unfortunately ends with Brendan Fraser riding a skateboard. Yes, it's the advertisement for the movie Encino Man. A chillin' new comedy in full Neandervision. Uh, I'm not certain if this is the introduction of Brendan Fraser to the uh, silver screen, but it probably was the introduction of Pauly Shore to the silver screen, which is in itself a greater tragedy. Next page, we get an ad for Good Things Come in Small Packages, which is ironic because it's an ad for Fleer basketball cards, so take that as you will. And then way on into the comic, because they're really focusing in on the fight and trying not to break it up with any ads, we've got an ad for Kid Chameleon for the Sega Genesis. This is another one of these launch title games for the Sega Genesis that I really don't have all that much knowledge about. I don't think I ever played it. But essentially you play this, I guess, this skateboarding kid with sunglasses and a leather jacket who dons different types of helmets who allow him to have different powers in order to fight, you know, whatever enemies he is fighting in the game. If someone has some idea, or someone's played this, has an idea of what this game's like, go ahead and write in, and I'll read the letter on there. I'm just too lazy to go look it up right now. Then the next page, we get easy to build. Really, some more ads for the E2X Estes rockets, so more fun blowing things up into space. Well, not really space, but up high enough where it Looks like it's going somewhere. Then we get another ad for the collector cards that I could actually get behind, the DC Cosmic cards, which are totally and wholly awesome. Then next page, we've got the typical hodgepodge ad with a new one. It's the most sensational gadgets ever made. Match wits against the fly with the Durham Fly Killer. And it looks like sort of a weird Rube Goldberg-type machine that you can use to swat flies. Weird. I don't get it. 
The letters page has some letters praising the recent issues, including some people who are really excited with the character of Boudica. Don't know why. Maybe it's the boobs. But we do have another winner of an official Green Lantern Corps membership certificate. And the person who won it this time around was Michael Kretschmer, uh, Brooklyn, New York. And he won because he gave an explanation of how Brick could actually be a female when most of the members of her race were more crystalline when they were considered to be females. So, kudos to you, Michael. Following that, we've got Upper Deck Action, excellent. The ad for Upper Deck Baseball Cards on the back inside cover. And on the back outside cover, we get an ad for Satisfy Your Need for Speed Ferrari Grand Prix Challenge for the Game Boy, NES, and Genesis. This looks like your standard racing game. The NES version looks a lot like pole position, but the Genesis version goes one step further where it looks like you can play split-screen oddly enough, so I'm not certain if this was one of the first games that allowed you to play split-screen where one person played on the top of the screen and the other person played on the bottom, but it looks pretty neat. Uh, It's probably your typical, like I said, racing game a la pole position, so... The Genesis version was probably the one to have, especially since the original NES was kind of on its downhill slide from here. But that is it for the issue and for the ads. I'd like to take some time to mention that, yes, again, if you want to read this comic in collected form, you're out of luck. You've got to go to your comic book store and get the back issues. But... Be prepared. Next week, we're going to be doing something a little bit off the rails. Well, not really off the rails. Something a bit special. We're going to be covering the three-issue prestige format series of Guy Gardner Reborn. Here's the follow-up to what basically happened in this issue, and we're going to find out how Guy Gardner climbs his way back from, well, obscurity to becoming the hero that he always was meant to be. And if you're lucky, I may actually have someone to guest host with me. So, there's 50% less me you'll have to have in your earphones. Definitely incented for you to come back next week. So, we'll catch you next week and hope you have a good weekend. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Lincoln. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account, at just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L I B S Y N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. And be sure to leave a review for me on iTunes. I'll make sure to read it on the next show. 
You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was Fight for Your Right to Party from the Beastie Boys. As usual, you can either go download the song or album from iTunes, or preferably go to twotruefreaks.libson.com, click the Amazon.com banner at the top of the page, go to Amazon and download the song, download the album, or buy the CD from there. You'll be helping out Two True Freaks and making sure that fine quality Demonzacore podcasts are kept on the air for an extended period of time.